the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, how's, how's Gramps doing over there? Yeah, our, our foster cat Gramps, which is a terrible name for foster cat. I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, We we like what? to call him Senior Queso Pumpkin Pie. Uh, <laughs> anything to do with orange, you know, basically is mm. good. And, you know, listeners out there, if you want to name our cat. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, is that going to be a new poll? We'll be, do a poll next week. That'll be the new poll. <laughs> what should this cat be named? It sounds like he was named by Gary Oak, you know, from Pokemon, <laughs> just calling him Gramps. Hey, Gramps. Well, so he's he's 10 years old, roughly. They're not yeah. really sure how old he is, but he doesn't act like a 10-year-old cat. He acts like a kitten. Like He just goes okay. nuts all the time um, and constantly wants to play. Uh, hmm. But uh, so that's why the name Gramps really doesn't fit him because, you know, he's he's not an old boy. But you don't know since he's a foster cat, you only got him recently. You don't know what he was named as a kitten, like as a kitten named Gramps. I don't know if that would be <laughs> like, was he found and then they named yes, him that? Yes, or... correct. Okay. <laughs> so you don't know what his real, you don't know what his, uh, his real name is then? No, no. His, his native name. Yeah. You don't, you just have his slave name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You told me the other day that he likes Cheerios. Is that correct? Well, I feel all cats like Cheerios. He definitely likes he he definitely was in a home for a long time because he okay. enjoys to get the scraps and try to get the scraps. Or I should say we don't let him hmm. uh, because, you know, we're good, good foster parents. But good. clearly someone for many years was just giving him terrible food. Uh, hmm. And just because he will go after anything where Max was like would only go after meat, which is fine. And, you know, yeah. you can a cat cats can have meat. That's like. No. That's what they're supposed to eat. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like, don't give them like a potato chip. <laughs> like, no. What? No. <laughs> people, dude, people. A, a, a Timbit. Here you go. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you remember, Neil, but that husky. Um, remember that big husky that we used to walk near whenever we walked to school in high school? Um, the uh, really big fluffy husky. one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He he would, they would take him to that Tim Hortons uh, near, near the school and, uh, right. and he would get his Timbit every time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's not good for dogs. It's not, but I know a lot of dogs or a lot of dog owners who always give them Timbits. And I mean, he lived a long time. He was there for, for a while. So I guess he, he managed to be okay. But uh, I think they just gave I him guess. like the old fat, like the, um, the plain old, old fashioned, fashioned plane. Yeah. yeah. Nothing really in there anyways. No, it's not like he's getting a double, double with a <laughs> double chocolate Timbit as well. <laughs> Pretty sure he would die immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that Husky. Oh man. Husky's going from pulling sleds to just walking down to the local Tim Hortons to have a Timbit and a double, double. It was funny. Cause he was Canada. always so excited to mm-hmm. get like, he, he would, he would be much brisker pace when he walked to Tim Hortons. And then oh, for when sure. he walked back, he was like, I'm good. <laughs> well, did I tell you that one time, like towards the end of my last dog Chase's life, we took him to uh, Baskin Robbins, the, the ice cream place near my house, mm-hmm. and like we took him for just a scoop of vanilla, like on Canada Day, I think it was, because I guess he we thought he needed an ice cream, <laughs> and uh, ever since then, like every walk, we'd walk by Baskin Robbins, and he would just pull in that direction, like he knew <laughs> where the Baskin Robbins, even like at. We'd walk him at night, like nine o'clock after dinner, closed, like the place is closed. He would still want to go, like go to the window looking in to see if anybody was there to give him a scoop. Is anyone there? Only got one. He basically licked it like five times and then just swallowed it. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like the peanut butter, kind of like that's how dogs eat peanut butter too. It's just like lick, yeah. like swallow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now this is probably safe to eat the rest of it now. Yeah. Cheerios is an interesting choice though. Uh, I'm guessing it's just the plain kind of Cheerios, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the plain kind. It's, it's that, you know... 
uh, it's like dry food basically, right? Yeah. It's they like the crunch. My cat mm-hmm. uh, Audie, when I was growing up, he loved Cheerios, and me as a child and as a messy cereal eater, I would you know <laughs> drop tons of stuff below sure. my chair, and he was just always there waiting. And yeah. I, I used to eat. Um, I would have Cheerios, honeycomb, corn bran. He liked mm. all of them. Anything that was really cool. crunchy, but he did not like shreddies. What's corn bran? It's like the square. They're called squares now. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, you know yeah. those ones. I don't like them anymore, but I did. I ate them when I was a little kid. They're very crunchy. It sounds healthy. I don't think it is. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not. It's not because usually as a kid, like you don't like the healthy stuff, and as you get older, it's like, oh, these are actually very special, like raisin bran. Oh, raisin bran. I, I, I'm not. Cereal. I'm not a big raisin guy, but I do like the brand. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting I feel take. Really old. <laughs> Can you please take the raisins out? That's just bran flakes. Well, a uh, friend of the show, Jake, and friend of the show, Brian, once got in a heated argument over raisin bran uh, mm. because uh, Jake bought raisin bran from a convenience store and as we all know you never buy cereal from a convenience store because you're getting gouged oh, doing that you're getting gouged seven dollars for the oh small box at least uh at minimum <sighs> and um uh brian of course took all of the raisins out and was just eating them one by one and uh jake uh <laughs> then saw the raisin bran with no raisins in it and mm. he was obviously very distraught basically like getting just bran flakes sort of like as a kid the version of that would be getting lucky charms your sister or brother eating out all the uh marshmallows <laughs> and then you're left with basically alphabets which is by far the worst cereal right alphabets sucks yeah it's not good <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway uh speaking of polls we talked about that earlier thank you to everyone who voted on our x-men poll this week that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. um we got our whole little x-men team put together there i was actually thinking mike it would be kind of fun now to pick up x-men legends and play the game with that team Oh, well, don't you have, like, it's, like, 12 people? Yeah, I guess. I was thinking more Ultimate Alliance, but I think oh, that that's yes. four people at a time. You can have four mutants at a time, and I'm pretty sure Professor X is not a playable character in that game, because mm. what are you going to do? <laughs> roll around. <laughs> but mm, Yeah, exactly. Just roll around and uh, hold your head. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the results of the poll, we had Wolverine at 97%. He beat out Sabretooth. There was Storm at 54%, who narrowly beat out Rogue with 46%. Uh, there was Kitty Pride versus Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler won with 67%. There was, uh, let's see, Colossus and Gambit. Uh, Gambit won with 64%. And then last but not least, we had Magneto versus Charles X. And Professor X won with uh, 59%. Yeah, that was a close one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Professor X and Magneto were close. And then Storm and Rogue were pretty close too. So uh, our team ended up being Wolverine, Storm, uh, Nightcrawler, Gambit, and Professor X. So That's basically how I thought I was going to go down. I was actually pretty surprised at how close the Storm versus Rogue was. I'm, I'm a big mm-hmm. Rogue fan. I voted for Rogue. Uh, Me too. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, was, I didn't think a lot of other people were, but clearly they were and uh, it was very close. I think it's just that a lot of people don't know exactly what Rogue does because the movies didn't do a very great job with her. She just even though kills boyfriends. <laughs> yeah, she's she's basically like the Twilight of the X Men universe. How it's like she just wants yeah. to find love but can't because she's deadly. But she has better powers than that, which wasn't really well explained yeah. in the movie very much. Maybe the first movie, but after that, it just went kind of downhill from there. But anyway, Storm won, so she's on our team now. <laughs> there you go. I'll take Halle Berry, Academy Award winning Halle Berry, any day. Mm. For what, what's what's the Bond film she's in? Is that Die Another Day? Uh, I think so. Again, all those Pierce Brosnan films, other than Golden Eye, are basically the same movie. So they all yeah. they all blend in. And and Nightfire is the best one, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So now we that brings us into February, Mike. We made it through January, thank God. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy happened in January. Uh, nothing to speak of. Nothing big except my birthday, and so I guess I don't have a birthday month anymore. No, no, that was your last one. Wandering around in the wilderness without a birthday month for eleven months, you're gonna have to figure. Just you're just gonna be staring at walls, wondering what to do with your life. <laughs> <laughs> is this releasing we do on have... Groundhog Day? Is 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 that when when this is? No, no, Groundhog Day was a couple days ago. What day is Groundhog Day? February 2nd? The 2nd, yeah. The 2nd, yeah. This episode is going live on the 4th. Yeah. So if we ever make it through Groundhog Day, maybe this episode will never go live. <laughs> That's true. That could that could we, very well happen. What a classic Bill Murray film. We do have our February goal, though, of reaching 10,000 downloads. Around right now, we're at, I think, what is it, 8,500 downloads? 8,500 downloads right now, which uh, uh, over about, you know, seven, eight months that we've done this, been doing this so far, it's... Uh, Pretty yep. pretty good, uh, I, I I think. I see some people, you know, other podcasts being, you know, with smaller numbers, and I always think that they're a lot bigger. So I'm like, oh, wow, we're like, some people listen to us. Yeah, some people do. <laughs> we have like 250 to 300 listeners a week, which is not bad. I mean, that's pretty decent. And uh, yeah, I think if we push pretty hard, if everyone can go out there and share the show with their friends, uh, we can definitely hit 10,000 in a month. We're averaging like 11, uh, 1,100 right now. So yeah. To get another 1,500, I think that that's definitely doable in the next, uh, how many days are in February? 28, because it's the weird month. It's the weird month. Yeah, no, not a leap year. So 28 days. Okay, that's a that's a heavy lift, but I think we can do it. I think we can do it. And we have some really good episodes coming up too. We got an episode mm-hmm. about The Sims, um, yep. which is going to be great. We got an episode about WarioWare and those games, as well as collecting games in general. Uh, we... Mm-hmm have some this one which is snowboarding <laughs> this, it's gonna be fun. this one <laughs> and uh, of course other ones and then march is gonna be a great month with zelda it's gonna be the zelda month so Ooh, get ready for that that's, ex- that's exciting mm-hmm. cool but we do have a new segment that we're gonna call the mailbag, mailbag. this is the segment where we're gonna have positive and negative reviews we'll just read probably one or two a week just to put some spotlight on a listener who decided to actually leave us a review uh, i think we have a positive review uh, today mike do you have that one ready to go i do have that one ready to go neil and okay. this review uh, comes from uh, GameCuber82 from the UK, mm, uh, which we'd okay. love to see. And they start off with a great blast from the past. Was looking for something mm. to listen to whilst retro gaming and stumbled upon this gem. The podcasts are relaxed. The banter between the hosts is warm and the mixture of facts and personal stories is interesting. It's nice to know that I'm not the only GameCube fan 20 years later. Uh, and that, yeah, thank you very much, GameCuber82 from England or from UK, and who uh, put us put that review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, Gamer Game. What? Sorry, GameCube82. GameCuber. GameCuber82. Okay, <laughs> we'll crack open a Nestle bar and uh, enjoy episode 35 of the GameCube was cool podcast. New episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. If you haven't already, take a moment to subscribe and leave us a rating and review to help others find the show so we can reach our goal of 10,000 downloads by the end of February. We're the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things that we've been working on, episodes available to download, read some articles that we wrote, and explore our lovely store. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's you. Last week, we covered X-Men and X-Men movies in general, just the kind of whole franchise or whatever you want to call it. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. That was a lot of fun to record. Friend of the show, Harrison, joined us. This week, we're covering the SSX and 1080 snowboarding games on the Cube. Uh, Friends of the show, Allie and Brandon, will be joining us in a little bit. We're very excited to talk about this genre of games that really lived and died on the uh, sixth generation hardware, specifically GameCube and 
PS2 and Xbox. Um, there was a slow trickle of snowboarding games. And Gizmondo. Games on... Don't forget the Gizmondo, and... Neil. <laughs> oh, how could, who could forget? <laughs> Can't wait to talk about the Gizmondo today again. Oh, boy. Yeah, but uh, snowboarding games was, was a special time in this generation, I think. Like, every console had one. It was an annualized mm-hmm. thing between SSX and 1080 being the main two, uh, starting on really the PlayStation and N64, but I think it really found its stride um, in the 2000s. Mike, what do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, this is definitely the time of the X Games, of Jackass, of that whole, you know, very extreme sports culture that we yep. really saw take off in the late 90s and probably reach its zenith around 2005. Um, yep. And it's very similar to the skateboarding kind of world as well with, you know, attempts to make annualized franchises out of these. But what I think mm-hmm. is is interesting about the snowboarding games is that Nintendo actually wanted to kind of have a piece of the pie, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare for them to go go off of a fad. You know, Nintendo didn't really yeah. ever have a skateboarding game or anything like that. Uh, no. They didn't really push into extre- extreme sports uh, and like too hard, I guess. Disney had some extreme sports games on uh, the GameCube, as we know. But mm-hmm. it, it, I think snowboarding is quite unique. And also the fact that they also developed one of my favorite games, uh, Sean White Snowboarding for the Wii, which is very good. That's what I was going to say was the snowboarding genre, while it was big, was you know heavily uh, based on SSX and 1080 games. They didn't really lean into any famous snowboarders like the way Tony Hawk did or uh, Dave Mira. They just kind of stayed as this sort of generic snowboarding game. Like none of the characters, there are some carryover characters from game to game and tracks and whatnot, but there's no like main SSX athlete. No. Uh, not not really until Sean White. That was kind of the first snowboarding game that really centered around a major athlete at the time. Mm-hmm. A very big American snowboarder. Um, but yeah, the SSX games and 1080 games were not really, they didn't need an athlete and they still did very well up there with Tony Hawk. Like when you think SSX, every gamer from this generation would instantly know, oh yeah, one of the oh, yeah. best snowboarding games of all time. And they didn't need any sort of uh, any sort of athletes to be tied to it to do I, that, which is very impressive. I think it would have actually taken away from it if you did tie mm. an athlete to SSX. It doesn't feel like Tony Hawk is very, I, I think it's almost a flash in the pan and the fact that they got lucky too. Like it just was, mm. Tony Hawk was definitely right place, right time. And he has said this many times as well. Uh, you mm. know, like it, he was really lucky and just the fact that, that snowboarding was, was so big at the time that it really didn't matter who would True. have been the the cover athlete and like the 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 face of the game it just helped that mm-hmm. tony hawk is a kind of cool name easy name to to remember yeah. um and now just synonymous with skateboarding and mm-hmm. you know sean white definitely has that a bit with snowboarding too but i think with the ssx and just the way ssx was created and developed i think having a a one person show you know and really pushing towards like that that a Tony Hawk or, or, or a Bob Burnquest of snowboarding would have hurt the brand, I think, more than it could have helped it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And these games did get people into snowboarding to some degree, I think. I mean, it got me into snowboarding the same way that the Tony Hawk games did. I got 1080 Avalanche. I guess I can tell the story of how I got the game. Because, yeah. Mike, you don't, own, you don't own any of these games, do you? This is more... Nope. My speed. This is, I this is this is your episode for sure. I I oh, I played I played 1080 with you. Um, okay. And I have played hours and hours of Sean White snowboarding for the Wii. Uh, okay. But I never played much of the SSX series. I know mm. it. You know, obviously, I I, yeah, yeah. I I had a lot of friends who were big in, into it, but it just never was really up my alley. Uh, I wasn't. I was a skier. I wasn't a snowboarder. And um, yeah, not a lot of skiing video games that are as. Skiing never really made it into the uh, mainstream the way that snowboarding and skateboarding games did. Yeah, yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, no, I, as we said last week, 1080 Avalanche, which is the game on the GameCube, uh, sequel to 1080 Snowboarding on the N64, that was my main snowboarding game as a kid. So as I got older and I heard people talking about SSX, I was very much a 1080 defender. I feel like you could only like one or the other. And I still do to this day recommend people pick up 1080 Avalanche because it is a fun game. Um, it did not review or sell as well as the SSX, SSX series did. So when I when we went back to do this this GameCube was cool podcast, I, I remember thinking I'm going to really you know go hard on 1080 Avalanche and really support it. Going back to the games this week, um, it was hard to go back to 1080 Avalanche, really? and SSX has aged way better than 1080 Avalanche has. That's really interesting hearing that from you. That's really yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know me, I, I always talk about 1080 Avalanche. No matter like whenever people ask for hidden gems on the GameCube, I it's not really a hidden gem, but it, it is, is a something bit of that a hidden don't, gem. Yeah, a bit. It's an exclusive for the console, which, like you said, Mike, that there aren't too many sports games that Nintendo went hard on and tried to make exclusives. There was 1080 Avalanche, and there was Wave Race the jet skiing racing game, which we talked about in the first episode of this podcast. But they, for some reason, went into this 1080 Avalanche series and they made the sequel, which was this one, and then they stopped making them because they didn't do so well. And as a kid, I didn't know why it didn't do very well. I enjoyed it very much. I found the gameplay very addicting. But And the soundtracks were fun. You have, of course, Finger Eleven and uh, what's the other band? Uh, Cauterize, which is, you know, very 2000s rock music. Um, Neil, uh, a little trivia for you. Uh, do you know uh, Finger Eleven's actual uh, or their original band name? No. It is uh, Purple Butt Monkeys. Are you serious? Yeah, look that up right now. <laughs> I, I I guarantee everyone, Canadian uh, uh, rock band Finger Eleven, mm-hmm. their f- original name was the Purple Butt Monkeys. I actually went to, when I was in trade school, uh, the main, like, not dean, but the main coordinator for all of the trades I knew him because I worked. I worked for the. I don't know what you'd call that title. He was. He was a weird dude. But uh, he went to school with Finger Eleven, with with the finger, with the one. Yeah, he went to with the finger, the eleventh finger. That's right. With John Finger Eleven. <laughs> what page of the yearbook was he on? Um, I guess F. Um, but no. So the the way that I discovered 1080 Avalanche is actually kind of funny. The first Christmas that I had my GameCube, my cousins came over and my aunt and uncle, and we. We exchanged gifts, of course, as you do. And uh, my cousin, he got 1080 Avalanche from my parents. That's the game that we got him. And I got Lord of the Rings, The Third Age. Mm. Both good games. Yeah, great um, games. But, uh, ten, sorry, Lord of the Rings, The Third Age, more being like an RPG single player. We didn't play that game that night. But we did play 1080 Avalanche because that has multiplayer. Right. And right from the get-go, I was addicted to that game. I used my... Again, gift card money as soon as I could to go pick up a copy and played it to death when I was 12, 13 years old. I I just loved the tying together combos felt really easy and, yeah. you know, board sliding was really easy. And that's why I think it was so fun to play as a kid because you feel like you're an expert, even though the game kind of plays itself. Uh, that's why I found it kind of hard to go back to this week playing it. You almost never fall over. The board almost sticks to rails, which makes board sliding very easy too. The game is more focused around the race, so it's more yes. of a race to the bottom of the hill, which is fine, but when you really want to just do do some really cool tricks and really be in the game for a few minutes, that's where I think SSX does way better. I have SSX on tour, which was the game that I played this week, and going back to that game was way more fun, and I just felt like the game was more punishing, like falling over. Mm-hmm. You fell over way more. The Grinding the board was a lot harder. It's not really a grind, I guess, a board slide, uh, but just... I just felt like the game also looks better graphically, the SSX on tour, than 1080 Avalanche. 
there's a bit more of a frame rate issue in that game. So I know last week I said 1080 Avalanche was going to be my favorite for this week, Mike, but I definitely <laughs> I changed my opinion this week, man, playing SSX on tour. And we're also going to talk about SSX3 this week. I think I'm going to go pick up SSX3 now because I just want to play this series as much as I can. Well, it's, you know, that's that's one of those things when you play a game. I, I had that with Spider-Man too, that I thought that game was amazing. And then I went back to it and I just was so under, underwhelmed and mm-hmm. I ended up uh, liking Sp- Ultimate Spider-Man way more. And I think you, yeah. you talked a bit about like difficulty and how this game kind of plays itself, and it definitely does. Uh, mm-hmm. It you kind of feel like you're on rails sometimes, uh, yeah. Because it is, yeah, like you said, it, it's it's focused on the race rather than the tricks, right? But I, I think people forget that you know things like Tony Hawk, like Tony Hawk games are actually quite difficult. You know, yeah, like they're they're hard to master. Uh, they're, you know, easy to do some like whatever ollies and stuff, but it, it takes a long time to get your combo game up. And honestly, I was never good at, at, at Tony Hawk. I was always, you know, could do the goals, but I could never do some crazy stuff that I see online. Yeah. And, but you know, it's cause it is a really hard game to master where, mm-hmm. uh, SSX is a similar way too. It's kind of built in that way where it's easy to pick up right away and mm-hmm. start playing, but it's difficult to actually get the controls perfect so you can combo for like forever basically and have these mm-hmm. infinite combos and that's why ssx is really fun and tony hawk games are really fun to keep going back to because there's right. always something to achieve there's always something more you're like oh no i could i could do- totally do that better i could totally mm-hmm. make that more perfect yeah uh, where 1080 avalanche is definitely very fun with a friend to just you know race down the slope mm-hmm. but uh you know after a while it, it kind of loses a bit of its uh its edge yeah, you, there is that high score uh, level to it as well, where you're trying to beat yeah. your score from last time or your time. But it's just the game just feels like, like you said, it's just playing so much itself that there's really not much more you can do at a certain point. Whereas SSX, you feel like you're in control of the board a lot more. Yeah. Also, playing the two games side by side, 1080 Avalanche being an exclusive, SSX on tour felt more like an exclusive than 1080 Avalanche because SSX on tour has Mario, Luigi, and Peach as playable characters. With that EA partnership that we talked about in the arcade sports game right. um, episode, and that was a very short-lived partnership between EA and Nintendo. Seems like that's like the theme recently is short-term <laughs> mm-hmm. partnerships with EA. Yeah, <laughs> we had it last episode with um, X Men and with Marvel, and how mm-hmm. um, they had the the short-term partnership there, and then again. They had a short-term partnership with Nintendo to include a couple of Mario characters. That's Mario, Luigi, and Peach in mm-hmm. some of their games. NBA Street Volume 3 was the one that we mentioned earlier on yep. uh, and is a really fun game. I, we would definitely recommend check that out and check out our episode about that. But yep. it, it is really weird, and they it only this, this partnership only lasted for, what, a year and a half, two years, Neil? Yeah, that's about right. They they had the they had the partnership in the early 2000s right around the GameCube era to kind of bring on more third-party developers mm-hmm. onto the GameCube. So, to sort of sweeten the deal, they told EA, "Look, you can publish games on our console for less money than what it would cost other developers." That's why there's so many EA games on the GameCube was because yes. it was cheap to publish for. And yeah, we got a couple of uh, you know, weird tie-ins like NBA Street, like SSX on Tour. Also, I learned this week that Fight Night Round 2 had Little Mac in it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It does. There's that too. So, And the partnership did also include games on the Game Boy Advance. There's a ton of sports games on the Game Boy Advance, which a lot of people don't talk about much. Like there's Madden games, there's FIFA yeah. games, there's there's uh, golf games on there, which you know did help the Game Boy Advance sell copies, I'm sure. 
And even onto the Wii, we got random uh, EA games, like there's a Dead Space game, and I think Boom Blocks was also published by EA. So, and then on the Wii U, it, it became less and less every year. We've got like Mass Effect on the Wii U, and one random Madden game on the 3DS. So it's just trickled down ever since the GameCube, which was by far the peak of EA and game and Nintendo partnership. I think it's just the peak of history. Hundred <laughs> percent. The world, the world peaked in 2002. But, well, we have talked a lot about the history of SSX on our, was that the Arcade Sports uh, episode, Mike? Uh, that was for the Extreme Sports episode. We did mention mm. SSX Tricky uh, because we talked about other games like Dark Summit uh, right. with uh, friends of the show Gavin and uh, Victor because um, mm. they are kind of Extreme Sport guys. So they had a lot of insight on those games. We mostly talked about Dark Summit <laughs> other than SSX Tricky. SSX oh. Tricky obviously is known as one of the 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 premier kind of sports games especially for snowboarding mm-hmm. um but uh, uh we 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 talked about dark summit because of that ridiculous storyline which right. was like oh what was it was it like footloose or something like, like it was the, yeah, it was the plot to footloose basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was something ridiculous so we were much more entranced in that also the fact that i know ssx tricky i think kind of most people know the story and and mm-hmm. just know about ssx SSX tricky. Oh my god, I hate that. I'm gonna have it's to say hard that to say. Times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but three is is a game that I usually gets even better reviews than tricky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so that's why we're excited to talk about it with Brennan and Allie today. All right. So just a quick history of the SSX franchise. I know we covered it a lot in the uh, in the past episodes. Of course, we've talked about tricky. But uh, the SSX games uh, stands for Snowboard Supercross. Was a series that began so did in not develop- know. You did not know that? No, I didn't. I honestly didn't know what oh. SSX stood for. <laughs> yeah, the entire time I was doing the research for this episode, I was like, what the hell is that? And then it's like, oh, that makes sense, I yeah. suppose. But yeah, it began as a series actually on the Dreamcast, but yes. uh, EA, EA ended their relationship with Sega and they moved the game over to PS2, which ended up being a very good move. Um, the executive producer and the creative director of the first game we've talked about before was Steve Reckschaffner. Uh, he's the inventor of the snowboard board cross uh, in the Olympic event, so obviously his skills transferred very well to the SSX series. Uh, there's six games in total, ranging from the PS2, GameCube, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, Gizmondo, N-Gage, PlayStation Portable, Wii, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and now the Xbox One. There's even games on the iPhone. There's a plug-and-play for VCRs. There's an LG Smart World app. Yeah, I, I read about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a random... I don't know how this game got... Like, it's got its fingers everywhere, dude. First <laughs> game was licensed re- everything. Yeah, no kidding. Had to get that money. Uh, first game was released in 2000. The latest was in 2012, simply called SSX, which is a bad move because the first game is also called SSX. Yeah, it's kind of like the it's kind of like what Medal of Honor did. Uh, yeah, same kind of idea, just like re- like a reboot. I can't I can't stand that, dude. I don't like that at all. Yeah, neither do I. Now there was a hiatus between 2007 and 2012. And now there's a even more. <laughs> now there's now, an even bigger hiatus. Now we're in a nine-year hiatus, <laughs> so I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. No. Um, it's got a few well-known voice actors, mostly in Tricky, actually. Like David Arquette is in Tricky, as well as Billy Zane. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. And Lucy Liu is also in Tricky, I believe. Really. Yeah, some random voice actors in there, but uh, after Tricky, there wasn't really many well-known actors, and 1080 Avalanche had. Nobody, of course, other than Finger Eleven. <laughs> yeah, so before uh, Ali and Brandon join the show, Mike, I'm just going to introduce the three games since I think it's going to be hard to talk about one game and yeah. not the other since it's all they're all going to be very intertwined. So I'll introduce each game, and then when Ali and Brandon come on, we'll talk about the games. We'll read the back of the cases. You and I will give our overview of the franchises and whatnot, you know, the classic ending of the mm-hmm. show, and uh, we'll go from there. 
Let's do it. All right, sounds good. So SSX3 was released on October 20th, 2003, developed by EA Canada, published by EA Sports Big. Also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, Game Boy Advance, Gizmondo. Thank you. There you go. And it's uh, playable on the Xbox One as of April 2018. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to pick up SSX3 now, it would be about $25, rates in the 9s and 10s. So this is definitely where the franchise hit its peak. Yeah, and and I I always see this game, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the best games for the GameCube. And it's actually uh, in the Nintendo Life had a fan poll uh, last year for Mm -hmm. the, the top 50 games for the GameCube. And it came in at number 33. Wow. Uh, if I just if I could just quickly read what they say about it. Sure. They say technically the third in the series, although some don't consider SSX tricky to be a true sequel. Um, three put you on one single mountain rather than disparate uh, places around the world. And it introduced a whole bunch of improvements over the previous game, including a graphical overhaul. Opinions differ, of course, but this was arguably the peak of the series before it began to slide down. And it still holds up well today. That's well said. The game is a technical marvel because you could go from course to course without any load screens, which was ahead of its time. Yes. So that was a big selling point of SSX3, which wasn't in SSX on tour. It was more of a menu select, go to the course, go back into the menu. So that was something that for some reason they didn't go back to on SSX on tour. I'm not quite sure why, but SSX on tour was released on October 11th, 2005 Developed by EA Canada, published by EA Sports Big. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and the PlayStation Portable. <laughs> I did not have that game. But it's around $20 nowadays and rates in the 8s and 9s. Uh, this one feels like kind of the first time when the SSX community kind of just shrugged when it came out. Like, it's good, but it wasn't doing anything. It didn't do better than SSX3 is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah, I, w- I would assume so. And looking at the game, the box art, and even the menu system, it felt like Tony Hawk American Wasteland, that very <laughs> pop punk, yeah, you know, like yeah. doodling and, and pink and black and, and Everything sketched. That was like the, the aesthetic yep. that they were trying to do is like everything's a sketchbook, which is, you know, cool, but it's, it's, it's very fine. of a time. Yeah, absolutely. And then last but not least, we have 1080 Avalanche was released on December 1st, 2003. In Japan, it's known as 1080 Silver Storm. Hmm. Developed by Nintendo Software Technology, published by Nintendo. It's a GameCube exclusive, priced at around $40 today, so it's come up in price. Uh, According to the GameCube Anthology book, which we reference from time to time, it gets a 4 out of 5 stars. I think that that's a little bit inflated, being that it's a GameCube exclusive and the only snowboarding exclusive on the console. Uh, Everywhere else, if you look it up, it rates like 6s and 7s. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's the three games that we're going to be covering today. So why don't we bring Allie and Brandon on now to talk about these titles? All right. And joining us live on the show today is Allie and Brennan, friends of the show. Allie, as you probably remember, was on the racing episode. He had lovely insights there. Uh, and I just want to know from you guys, do you guys know what the Gizmondo is? I do. I'm, that, I'm swear really? that's like a news website. Like, <laughs> well, since, since Allie knows it, Allie, could you describe what it is to the listeners? So the long and short of it is uh, it's a small portable gaming console that was basically funded by the mafia <laughs> that's right. that's, yes, that's, uh, right. <laughs> that's that's the short of it um and yeah it didn't it didn't go anywhere because again it was just funded by the ma- like i need to really emphasize it was funded by the mafia through and throughout so yeah and hard I to think- believe it didn't sell well with families yeah, yeah. And then I I don't think there were many like games on it at all from what I remember. But there's yeah. an SSX game on there. Was there? Yes. Oh my god. 
I mean, there was an SX, SSX game on Game Boy Advance, so I guess that's not too difficult to imagine. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, that's the Gizmondo in a nutshell. Just a, a portable failure of a console. <laughs> Good enough. All right, so where did you guys get your start on the SSX series? Um, I know a lot of folks started with SSX 1 and Tricky being a very big big game, but today we're talking about SSX 3 and SSX on Tour. But um, where, where did you guys get started on the franchise? Uh, Brandon, let's start with you. Uh, for me, it was SSX 3. Um, I think I got it as a launch title, which was, cool. I want to say, like 70 bucks at the time for a PS2, which, or no, GameCube, but like it was astronomical. And it's absolutely not worth that much. But. Yeah. No, nowadays it's worth like $25. So you definitely overpaid. But hey, who knew at the time? But it was it the third the sh- one. It was do you still have deal. it in the shrink wrap or did you did you play? Oh, no, no. I, um, my family got me those little little case things where you put all the games in there instead of the original boxes. So you could throw those away and save space. Oh my God! You got rid of the case. Yeah, no, my kids? parents, my family did not Jeez. love me. My parents never thought about doing that. Once the discs came around, you didn't get rid of cases. Cartridges were a different story, but but no, it was space saving. You see, how so much like, space do these take up? It's a DVD case. Very, very little. <laughs> but it's a great Christmas gift. Especially oh yeah, Brent, sure. yeah. Cats I guess at the time too, like CD book, you know those books that you put CDs in, where we're all the rage for your car. You'd put your Limp Biscuit album and your Three Days Grace album in there, and ride down the road with your high school friends. Ali, where'd you get your start? Was you were you on SSX three as well? No, I actually got my start on SSX Tricky. So there is a little bit of a story on how in middle school there was a community center right next to our school. So maybe a two minute no not even two just a minute walk away so we would go there sometimes because they would have you know nice snacks and eventually there was a program there where some adults brought their gaming consoles and would charge the kids to go in to this like big room where they would just hang out eat snacks and play games they would charge i think only like 50 cents but a lot of kids would be there uh, so I just okay. ended up joining and then playing SSX Tricky there for the first time on the GameCube. And my mind was just blown away. It was so fun. I like. I think that was the first game where I saw the potential of audio engineering without even realizing it. Where, you know, when you, like, let's say, take a big jump, start doing tricks, the music fades away. And then if you land it, the music just comes back fully like full volume and it just feels awesome or if you fail it kind of like comes back in a that type of way mm-hmm. yeah it so, comes back slowly yeah well, we'll talk about the soundtracks to the game later because obviously just like the tony hawk games they're very centered around the gameplay themselves and they're like a like just like spotify at the time they introduced us to so many great bands so do you guys still play these games now or like does snowboarding games just kind of stop in the late 2000s as well when SSX the reboot came out, I think that was in 2016. I'm not too sure. Uh, 2012 was the one that was just called SSX. Twelve that long ago? My God. Yeah, it's been nine years. <laughs> oh my God! It feels it feels because I think I got it on sale um, way later than it came out, and I actually mm-hmm. quite enjoyed that one. I I thought they made the gameplay even more breakneck. And it, it was even more fun. The only downside was 
some of the features they added actually retracted from the game, like the wingsuit they added to the game in the newest one. Oh, okay. That actually made it a little too easy. But honestly, they refined the snowboarding to the point where it's actually kind of... If you compare the ones come that came before, mm-hmm. the new one is definitely better in terms of really? gameplay. Yeah, in my in my opinion, yeah. And I would I would ask you guys if you have um, a PS3 or Xbox 360 to try and get the SSX that came the reboot. I'm gonna have to look into that because most of the videos that I saw on YouTube this week were mostly all uh, heavily geared towards SSX Tricky and SSX3 being the peak of the franchise. And I'm just looking up reviews now. And yeah, even the 2012 game was getting eights, nines. Uh, seems to be pretty well reviewed. But I think by then it was just kind of fatigue for the whole snow- snowboarding genre in general. Part of it was that for sure. I think the other part also might have to do with um, the <laughs> egregious microtransactions that were in the new game. So that's that's kind of I think my, why many people don't find it as fun because I you know sat down and thought about what made these games so fun. It was also the fact that you could just unlock everything just by playing, and you that's like an addictive loop. You just play, unlock, get better at the game, unlock more, keep getting better, and keep getting basically more items in the game. In SSX the reboot, it's yeah, you can unlock a little bit, but to truly get the cool, like, really cool stuff, you mm-hmm. kind of have to pay money. And that's, okay. uh, I think that really retracts or detracts from the game because it doesn't have the same addictive loop that the previous ones had where you play it and you keep unlocking awesome stuff. It's You play it, you unlock a little bit, and then you're kind of just stonewalled. You're kind of forced into spending more money when you've already paid eighty to ninety dollars to buy the game. I was going to say that was one of the things about because I, you guys both got your start with snowboarding games on SSX, uh, Tricky, and and uh, sorry, Al, you said which one was your first one? Tricky, Tricky, yeah. Tricky, and then Brandon, yours was three. So I got my start with 1080 Avalanche. That was my first snowboarding game, and going back to it this week, my issue with the game was that it it doesn't feel like you're playing the game to a certain point. Like if you push a button, you're going to do that trick. You're almost always going to land it. If you go up to a rail, you're d- definitely going to grind on it. You're going to slide down it. No problem. You're not going to fall. I felt like SSX made you feel more like you were the one doing the snowboarding and the tricks. And it just made that game feel so much more addicting, way more collectibles, way more things to unlock. You could play as Mario, Luigi, and Peach, which is a ton of fun. And then you go to 1080 Avalanche and it's just this kind of race to the bottom basically a racing game with with snowboards so it kind of took from the fun of tying together combos trying to get that high score that that addictive gameplay loop of that tony hawk games really did well as well i feel like ssx and tony hawk would be the two games to go back to in terms of arcadey uh sports games on boards by the way i'm back welcome back mike my question with 1080 avalanche is because i never played it i did try it like i did try it a little bit before the podcast uh but it was just not at all as good as the SSX games. Um, it's not. <laughs> I, is, was there a feature that would let you do tricks and that would make you go faster down the hill? Like, what was the incentive oh, yeah. of actually doing the tricks in the game? Yeah, you definitely got a bit of a speed boost when you did tricks and your momentum picked up if you landed 
you know, gotcha, 180s okay. or whatever that flying squirrels. I forget the name of the tricks, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, you definitely do have like a speed meter that speeds up and it, it's just the rate. It was just a race. So that, that was kind of the appeal of it. it. It just felt like it was way too easy to play. Like there is, there are races in SSX too. Like there's races to the bottom, but they're way longer. Like I was playing some races on SSX this week and some of them lasted two to three or more minutes. And I, then I played one on 1080 and it was literally 56 seconds. Oh, and then boy. you're and then you're back to it's quick and then it's back to a load screen the game looks okay but yeah. it's just not fun to go like it, i just didn't really feel and and i didn't, didn't feel, feel like spider-man it didn't make me feel like spider-man so i didn't feel <laughs> the need to go back to it i would rather go back to ssx on tour yeah. which I, I was saying to mike before you guys came on feels like more of an exclusive game to the gamecube because of the ability to play as mario peach and luigi whereas in uh 1080 avalanche there's really nothing that ties it to the Nintendo IP? Like, there's nothing that makes... Um, I, I will say that you do get to unlock Mario in certain environment stuff. Like, there's this ice sculpture Mario and things. I, in 1080 Avalanche? Yes. I don't ever think I got to that. I did not know that. Oh, I did not. I didn't know that. Because, oh, yeah, okay. obviously, SSX on tour has that uh, the EA partnership with, um, with Nintendo. But, I mean, I assumed that there would be some stuff in... 1080 that would be like at least some small link to, to Nintendo. I didn't realize until today that this game was actually developed and published by Nintendo. I thought it just was published by them. Mm-hmm. So it feels pretty weird for Nintendo to to go like the full first party route and and you know not do anything in their realm, like not even have uh you could have had like a like a, a Hyrule Temple course. You don't have to have Link in the game. I know, but like just like a Hyrule Temple course would be insane. Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be 1080 Avalanche's staunch defender here. Okay, I think we're uh, we're missing a little bit of perspective and also what else was the market demographic at the time. So mm-hmm. picture this: it's 2004. Um, you go over to your friend's basement, uh, mom friend's house. You go into their basement. There's a large screen TV. They have a projector plasma. <laughs> Um, their mom just ordered pizza for dinner and yes. he's in the middle of a stage and playing this amazing game where you, these hyper-realistic characters that are all like yeah. much older and grittier and you're hearing this banger of a song that you've never heard before. It's Good Time by Finger Eleven. It's your first exposure. <laughs> and that is the core of 1080 Avalanche Experience where it's not... You're, all the points you guys mentioned before where SSX is more arcadey and it has more fun gameplay, honestly... Um, those are completely valid. 1080 Avalanche has never tried to be those things. 1080 Avalanche saw the rest of the market, yeah. saw like, okay, there's three of these SSX, SSX things already. Like, okay, we have to be different. Whereas yeah, um, that, SSX had mm-hmm. more cartoony vibe and like you could do major stunts. 1080 Avalanche was more focused around being a grittier, more mature snowboarder um, take on it. And it tried to, I think, they, as far as I know, they tried to use like real actual snowboarders in the game. So the whole art and aesthetic was very, very different. As such, they didn't. They tried to not do so much of the arcadey stuff. It was much more difficult to play the game in terms of like jumping and doing tricks. But like, mm-hmm. once you mastered those, those felt rewarding. Mm-hmm. Also, they have a very much cleaner UI, and I, for some reason, you can go up to three hundred kilometers per hour, which makes no mm-hmm. sense. Uh, that you just crash <laughs> into the side of a building, and it, like the game is very satisfying. But yeah. The big focus was appealing to teens, I think, who were aging out of the yeah. um, SSX audience. 
That's fair. That's a fair point. It was a far more cinematic experience than the SSX games were. Like, I felt like SSX was trying to simulate that snowboarding cross Olympic event, which is what the games were meant to do. Whereas 1080 Avalanche, you're literally snowboarding through an avalanche at one point. So it's like, it's a bit goofier in that sense. If, if you, um, there is one video I can implore. It's a, just Google 1080 Avalanche uh, vid- intro video on YouTube. It's like two minutes. It's the only selling point you need. It is just cinematic cutscenes of people falling through a, uh, all like through a mountain. Avalanches are playing. People are hitting cars, and it's all linked to a glorious pop punk soundtrack. Nice. That like it like it just. I don't know what it was about that time period where it just composes across movies and games just had it so well and like they were great at picking out little gems and spreading them to mainstream. So I think it's more of getting that experience, whereas SSX is more of a complete gameplay in terms of I am becoming a master snowboarder. Here is I am falling down. I'm, I'm falling away from an avalanche. You can actually see the Japanese influence in the yes. character design, I would say, because Ricky looks exactly like how I would imagine a Japanese executive thinking how American teenagers. <laughs> yes, exactly. that's exactly what I thought when I was researching these games. Like I, I've I've played uh, 1080 with Neil, um, and I've played SS- SSX before. I've never owned the games, but the first thing that came to my mind for 1080 was it, it felt very Japanese, uh, way more than than SSX for sure. <laughs> SSX was a clear Tony Hawk style game. You know, it, it was very mm-hmm. much in that world. Yes. Where 1080 felt like Japanese to the core and, you know, to the mechanics, to the, the character designs, even the fact that it's all about racing, you know, it's about skill over kind of flash, right? Where SSX is very the flashiness mm-hmm. uh, of everything. Uh, 1080's more like the look, look how fast you can go. And that, that is a bit of a Japanese kind of style for for games and just True. in general, really. One, one argument I will have for 1080 is that while it had fewer levels overall, the level designs were very unique. Also, like They also had a big focus on spectacle and being grandiose. Like These levels are huge on this perspective of being on giant mountains and you have huge chalets and you, you, you straight up you straight up snow poured through like villages at one point though <laughs> like... taking people out <laughs> oh yes and there there are uh, there will be other people like just on atvs that like drive by you're like, i'm snowboarding here yeah. what are you doing there, there are several times where you are rolling through a valley and just like rocks start just falling near beside you conveniently and do any of the announcers the judges do they intervene no they decide this is normal to say okay there was a bit of a development hell for uh, 1080 Avalanche. I don't think it was. It came out the way it was supposed to. I have a quote or a, a snippet here from the GameCube anthology. Quote, the development of the second 1080 was eventful to say the least. In the beginning, it wasn't NTS developing it, but Left Field Productions, the second party studio that made Kobe Bryant in NBA Courtside and the Excitebite N64 for the Nintendo 64. 1080 Snowboarding 2 was actually supposed to be launched uh, launched on the N64 uh, in the year 2002 after Nintendo split with Left Field. Nintendo put their own studio in charge of this new 1080 game. At the time, it was known as White Storm. Uh, but uh, the Nintendo, so the Nintendo branch responsible for Wave Race Blue Storm on the GameCube. So, which was actually a very good game. I don't know if White Storm would be a great <laughs> no. title for a game. Optimally. That does not age well. <laughs> it feels way too easy to make a sexual remark. Yeah, definitely. So, since you mentioned Finger Eleven. <laughs> Uh, that sure that exact same song is also used in SSX three like they <laughs> it is it's the same yeah, song it 
I, I which one came first? Mm-hmm. It was a 1080 Avalanche or I believe they launched the same year for sure. I think it was like a month or two before 1080 Avalanche. Yeah, you're right. SSX3 is October 20th, 1080 is December 1st. Yeah. So just But it's it's that jumping off point because it's like you you have this wonderful SSX3 and now you can transition to 1080 Avalanche through the beauty of Finger <laughs> 11. It's sort of like that body jar song that appeared everywhere or like Limp <laughs> yeah. Bizkit's Rollin is everywhere. There's just some songs that just appeared in all the games. I'm sure they time. popped up on a Tony Hawk or something like oh, that. Oh, for sure, there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so question: uh, What's the the main differences, I guess, between SSX three and SSX Tricky? The main difference between three and Tricky was that three had that open world uh, aspect to it, which right? You could go between from course to course, which you yeah, that's huge. That's huge at the end. Mm-hmm. Ended up that Ubisoft game Steep ended up building on that, where you could ski, snowboard, and flying squirrel your way around the mountain yeah. without any load I did, screens that I did, was i did actually play steep yeah so that's steep looked awesome. another one i did play <laughs> steep looked like fun it, it's 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 pretty fun but yeah. again the same issues that popped up with the new ssx remake you know microtransactions kind of ruining the fun of it that's yeah so and aside from the open world uh, aspect of ssx3 another uh, interesting fact is that there's 30 different types of snow in the game which if you don't live in a country with a lot of snow, you may know there's different types of snow. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it moves around easily. It does affect the way that you can board or ski. Depth of the snow also different in certain areas, which was an interesting real-life as- aspect to put into the game. There's visual improvements over the previous game, uh, such as enhanced character models and shadows. Um, and then finally, SSX3 is the first video game to be THX certified, which THX is the sound studio that George Lucas made in the early 1980s to improve the sound quality of movies in theaters, home movie systems, and later on video games. There's since been a few dozen games that are THX certified, but SSX3 was the first one. So, yeah, those are just a few. There's a lot of acronyms uh, there, Neil. You got SSX, oh, God. THX, <laughs> and then you want to say THQ. <laughs> I, I want to, but oh, thank God THQ's not here. I think the soundtrack, in my opinion, the soundtrack was also better in 3 mm-hmm. oh, compared 100%. to Tricky. Because Tricky, it was good, but... It was a lot of basically the same genre-ish. Mm-hmm. And then 3 had a lot more genres and it had some big names in there, mm-hmm. like Finger Eleven for yep. the time. Yeah, SSX3 had the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Queens of the Stone Age, Jane's Addiction, Thrice, Chaos, Finger Eleven, Yellow Card. I'm not sure who was in Tricky, I can't remember now. But fun fact about SSX3, though, is that Playboy gave the game 100%. Great rating. Yeah, that tracks. Nice. <laughs> that tracks. One, one of and my then, favorite aspects of, th- of SSX3, honestly, was just the amount of characters you could unlock and the character customization that you could do. Yeah. And, and also um, how many cheat characters they had were through hidden Easter eggs and things. Mm-hmm. Um, the free ride system you mentioned before, I loved. Mm-hmm. I played mostly that, just going around and unlocking things before these characters I already had. I, I love one of my like one of the coolest things about SSX games that I remember, and I and correct me if I'm wrong if it's not in three, but I I love the fact that when you're on races and if it's like if it's more of like a vertical jump and you're going down into the different, uh, in different pipes, you can basically just like skip a bunch of them and just jump all the way down, and as long as you land <laughs> on that pipe, you can keep going in the race, uh, like stuff like that is I think that was in tricky, I I forget which game I played, okay. but. Uh, I remember as a kid playing that and being like, whoa, I don't have to follow everything. I can just kind of like do what I want. This is sick. And tricky. You could even go backwards yeah. if you <laughs> like grind it up, up the rails backwards. And a lot of people utilize that to make huge like um, trick plays where they would just be like 
eight million points <laughs> in a run. It's what you could go backwards up on a mountain. Yeah, that's right. If you just turned around, I I don't know if SS x3 allowed you to do that i don't think it did. <laughs> i just i just love the freedom of ssx it's it's really mm-hmm. ahead of its time like for yeah. to do this and also i always just think of you know i'd like to think of the technical capabilities of games and consoles at this time and watching ssx3 gameplay uh, is just you know pretty staggering to me that they were able to do this so well in 2003 mm-hmm. uh, and just being able to load everything from what I remember, like it was uh, one of the huge arms for EA Sports uh, or EA Canada's uh, development team, and they put a lot of money into this in SSX three. Like because of the success of the previous two games, like I, they had a fairly big team on this one, and I think it paid off in spades. It's like one of the best selling snowboarding games of all time. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, definitely. Yep. It's but sadly, look where that ended up being right with the. EA Canada, now EA Vancouver, but them just being stuck with, what, FIFA and NHL? Yeah, NHL, yeah. Pretty much. Basically, like, year after year. That's what they were trying to do with SSX as yes. well. That's why they kind of failed. You know, the you trouble is, though, it was, it was too arcadey almost, so, like, they couldn't establish yeah. a good market following going forward or a yearly iteration. So then that that gets cut from their business model, as we can see currently. Yeah. It shouldn't have been a yearly iteration at all, to yeah. be yeah. fair. It was uh, EA uh, Canada. It was actually Montreal, EA Montreal, who made the SSS, uh, SSX games, which was uh, pretty cool. I'm not sure if EA still has a Montreal office, um, since Montreal is basically Ubisoft Central. But uh, Yeah, just I don't think it should have been a yearly iteration, because should not have these games relied on new features all the time. And the other sports games, they iterated, but very small features every year. These games basically required like a complete remake from the ground up each Mm -hmm. time they came out so something i want to talk about and kind of to your point on that in terms of you know a complete remake every time they came out is the fact of why didn't ssx try for an underground style of game you know you had tony hawk (laughs) who was making Mm -hmm. these uh you know pro skater one to four uh and then where you could get off your board (laughs) and then they obviously made uh the underground games which were incredibly popular at the time and would have lined up with ssx timeline as well and i just wanted to ask both of you why do you think they didn't go that route i think i actually kind of think they did a little they did like dip their toes with on tour because on tour is very much the aesthetic of it is very similar to what I imagine Underground's aesthetic too. Because I played Underground, right? And it was the same thing, like, you know, stickers, animations, just attitude, 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 attitude. It is the similar theme to Underground, but I think what Mike's getting at is having that story with levels and characters <laughs> and, and a plot. Uh, on tour doesn't doesn't have that. It is very Underground-esque yeah. and American wasteland It's got The aesthetic well. is definitely there, for sure. You can, like, yeah. that's kind of why I'm, I'm asking too, is that clearly the, the aesthetic was built up for this game to be almost underground-esque. I can imagine a reason being um, development time. I think that that probably didn't allow... Because EA wanted these games out as fast as possible, yes. right? So I would imagine this has to do with development time. I, I would say definitely. They did come out with an E3 trailer. I think it was for the SSX 2012 game, which was in that hiatus between 2007 and 2012. 
they had a trailer for an SSX game that had a bit of a story to it, but it was a very dark story. It wasn't oh. it wasn't goofy like Underground. Yeah. It almost looked it was criticized for looking like Modern Warfare SSX. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. So they did they did try and incorporate a story into the series at some point, but they ended up just backing backing away from that, putting out the SSX reboot in twenty twelve and then nothing. One again. of the the big things that development time is a huge factor for in terms of what Ollie was saying is the fact that they released these games on everything they could. So putting out a GameCube, PlayStation, Xbox release uh, for each title, as well as the portable core ports, and then you need to have stuff to optimize it because you were talking for, like they have tons of levels, tons of soundtrack, like that requires a fair bit of hard work for optimizing back then. If we consider 2003 era to be the peak of snowboarding games, <laughs> um, then I think what's happening there is from SSX3 2003 after the words they released on tour and tricky um, it's taken about two years for each of those developments and I'm willing to bet that the the number of copies sold after three was probably going down across the franchise for all the titles um, whereas we would start to see the market of video games as a whole shift over towards the rise of the FPS that's when Halo starts dominating the Xbox, and we're getting we're I think we're going to get into Call, Call of Duty, Duty territory, starting. yes. And yeah. mm-hmm. right. so when you have a big market shift, like also I think there was an MMO phase somewhere in the odds, I don't know. Um, <laughs> that you would see that the executives would be like, okay, we're not. This is not something we can reliably do it because it's so arcadey and so unique and so niche. We're not getting reliable money for this, whereas. Something like FIFA, where we can we're emulating actual players and therefore can reliably release a new version every year, that's more stable for production. Mm-hmm. So they probably wouldn't have greenlit after the um, lower sales volumes of Tricky and On Tour. I, I do have a I do have an answer to that as well, and it's another acronym, <laughs> uh, and we love acronyms here, and uh, that's GTA. Oh. So we talked about a lot in mm-hmm. the Extreme Sports episode. Uh, we talked to a friend of the show, Gavin, and he had a great answer when I asked him, what's the best BMX uh, <laughs> game out there today? And he said GTA, because yep. GTA has kind of uh, killed any of these games that were just trying to do one thing really well. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the epitome of GameCube uh, and of that era. And it's the last time that we saw these games that just did one thing. You know, SSX3, you're just trying to hit these tricks. You know, nothing else. You're just trying to have fun and and play with your friends. Same with 1080. You're just trying to go down a hill as fast as you can mm-hmm. and get as many points, right? And and yep. the the advent of GTA really coming into the mainstream with um with three and then obviously Vice City and San Andreas kind of just showed that Rockstar can just create a game that does literally everything, and that kind of changed mm-hmm. the landscape of gaming. Um, in the same sense of Call of Duty and and Halo did with FPS. It created the idea of, oh, well, now this kind of doing whatever you want, exploratory way of gaming is now just in GTA, Mm -hmm. and this is all you need. Right. I think that's a really good point. If you look at Guitar Hero, it's the same thing, right? That these games were amazing up till Guitar Hero 3, and then they really just started to push out like multiple titles per year. The wanting no you to buy, to buy new guitar many. controllers probably didn't help either. <laughs> of course. But also for the, the snowboarding thing, it's there's you're very limited storytelling wise when people are going down a hill. Yeah. And it's yep. hey, I know you. We went on down the hill last game too. <laughs> huh. I'll go down the hill faster than you this time. And that's kind of what happened with, with Underground too, but but the fact was is that you you had these 
very big larger than life characters in those games like you know bam margera and uh, and bob Burnquest tony and hawk. tony hawk who you mm-hmm. could easily put a face to the name and you were much more inclined to follow their ridiculous stories oh, yeah. where in mm-hmm. in ssx there you know we talked about this earlier but yeah there are no actual uh like s- snowboarders um they nope. didn't really do any of that until the sean white snowboarding game uh later on for the wii and other platforms i mean which i feel was a bit too little too late they, they could have even gone yeah. down the need for speed most wanted route where each hill has like a master and you can't face them until you defeat their underlings and that mm-hmm. in that case you don't need like real Pokemon. <laughs> yeah basically each is a gym <laughs> you're 10 years old <laughs> <laughs> was um was sean white even a household name at that point <laughs> Hmm. Not yet. No, I, yeah, I guess he would have just started to be. Um, yeah, so. But but Tony Hawk wasn't a household name until he was, right? <laughs> so they could have they could have found any snowboarder, not any snowboarder, but at least one that was on top of the the snowboarding world in the early two thousands and tied it to a, a video game franchise. I know that Tony Hawk was right place, right time in the nineties, just landing his nine hundred right before the first game came out. I don't know if there were any other snowboards in the late nineties that they could have tied it to. I'm sure there were, mm-hmm. but it's just that people didn't know about it because no one was introduced to the world of extreme snowboarding until, until way later, which was when Sean white was big in the Olympics and in the, the snowboard cross events. But yeah, I mean, they probably could have tied it to somebody and it might've, might've made the game more successful. They might've, uh, an interesting, they might've taken a cue from Matt Hoffman via pro BMX games where mm-hmm. I know yeah. as a 12 year old, in the 90s, I, I had no idea who the heck Matt Hoffman was. I'm like, why does he have a, a bike game? And then we talked about that in the Extreme Sports episode, how there's all this beef between Matt Hoffman and Dave Mira. Because <laughs> right. uh, Matt Hoffman was the new guy, I think, coming on the mm-hmm. scene. And mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, that was that was a whole that was a whole thing. But I do want to talk about SSX Tour a little bit more just before um, before we start closing off the episode a bit. Um, so, Ali, you obviously are the SSX Tour master uh, here and have played it a lot. So, Tell me, why should I get SSX Tour over SSX3 or SSX Tricky? Another reason why you would want to play, well, like three other reasons why you want to play on tour. Some people did not like this, but I find no issue in it. More to the people. Skiing, they introduced that, I think, for the first time in on tour. So that was not a thing in any of the previous games. And I, I think that actually opens them to a lot more of the demographic people who you know like skiing as well can go in and play the game yeah because i'm i'm a skier i was saying that earlier on the episode I, I don't snowboard i'm a skier so i actually didn't know that that's really cool ssx tricky had a pretty good soundtrack then three had a better one i think the best one really was on tour it made me find a lot more genres that i would like i it made me mm-hmm. find a lot more bands that i would enjoy so that's automatically on there already right and then... I think that's one of the things we haven't talked about too much of another reason why like snowboarding uh game demise is the fact that you know back then like back in 2005 like when this game came out you couldn't find like a lot of these you know you couldn't just other than like limewire <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it wasn't music just wasn't as accessible as it is now oh, right it, it, mm-hmm. especially to a kid uh you know who really has very limited access to the internet and mm-hmm. uh, can only really discover these songs and these soundtracks through uh, video uh, games. Through video games, and that's why Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two is O N One, and all those games is, are always considered so much better than they actually are, is because of the soundtrack. 
because right. that soundtrack just sticks with mm-hmm. you forever because it, that's what you kind of felt when you're growing up and you discovered so much new stuff. And it's the same with SSX. And they knew it too. Like when you're playing SSX on tour, the soundtrack had bands like Iron Maiden, Billy Talent, Avenged Sevenfold, Pennywise, Goldfinger was everywhere still. This was 2005 when the whole pop punk mm-hmm. era was really coming to a hit with yeah. the more emo emo music like Fall Out Boy and Billy Talent. But the game even had a jukebox area where you could just go and turn on the music and play it and have that on in the background while you're doing something else. So they knew what they had. They yeah. knew that they had like a basically a mixtape that you could <laughs> listen to at all times, which is just so cool. And video games nowadays, there still are these soundtracks, but so many people just mute the game and they'll play whatever music they have on Spotify because yeah. you have every song available at your fingertips. Why would they put development time and money into making a soundtrack that no one's going to listen to? Which is too bad because, like, the when Marty came on uh, talking about – what did we talk about, uh, Neil? Uh, when he st- oh, NHL games and how yep. Marty actually had an interesting thing with um, talking about those games and and he did some research about the, like, the developers of it. And the word they used was curated. They always wanted to make sure every <laughs> song was curated to the individual and, like, what they would be, like, feeling at that time. Uh, which was pretty cool, and I think SSX definitely does the exact same thing, especially on tour. From what, uh, from looking at the soundtrack, it's very curated. I can uh, I can provide some major insights into how Tendi Avalanche uh, failed spectacularly in this aspect. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, go, mainly, go. As we were saying before, SSX they recognize the value of the soundtrack, but moreover, it might be just the difference in budget, but. Um, SSX also had, while it was like firmly pop punk, it also had a lot more mainstream people like Chili Peppers and everyone. Whereas I think 1080 Avalanche is um, the soundtrack. The composer put a lot of love into it, but it was also like, clearly these are some fine gems that they had to They know most people hadn't heard of. Like, yes, we have finger 11, but we also have socket zero B seven 11 and squid. Cauterize was fun. Cauterize was fun. <laughs> um, the thing with though is that 1080 to choose your songs, you would um, they had a radio dial interface, which was really cool yeah. in theory, um, mm-hmm. but resulted in you having to, as a twelve year old, look at these little ticks and be like, which is the one I like? They had a good part in the middle, and you're di- you're trying to mm-hmm. fiddle the dial in between the level before the level loads. And you never, you, you either you wouldn't find the song you liked, or you got the wrong one. So it was very much a cool idea. Like some some programmer dude had, uh, like, oh, this will be very fun. It'll, it'll look like a real radio. Like you're you're you tuning in. It's like yeah, functionally for UI though, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. You, you do not the the kid doesn't remember which songs they listen to, and they're not going to go look it up afterwards. So if if you guys had to pick between these three games, we'll talk about uh, 1080 Avalanche, SSX3, and SSX on tour. If you had to uh, recommend to the listeners one game that they could pick up from the three, which one would you recommend? All right, so I I, I have a yeah I I'll go first so Brandon can think about which one. Okay. Uh, currently, I would say on tour, but if like graphics matter to you a lot, then three on Xbox One X backwards compatibility Mm -hmm. because they let you play that game at 4k like they upscale all the models and i think that's uh, that's the only game that got that treatment in ssx series so xbox series or not series one x lets you just upscale the game to a 4k resolution um the back like all the elements that are pictures like the jpegs they still kind of stay muddy and the same Mm -hmm. but the 3d models they actually look they look so good on there. So if you care a lot about graphics, I would say three on backwards compatibility. But gameplay-wise, I would I would go with on tour. 
So a little fun little tidbit to tie it back to the burnout episode. Uh, SSX3 has the same in-universe DJ that Burnout has, DJ Atomica. Oh, yeah, that's, a that's little, really cool. That, I did not that's, know that. The, the small details like that, I'm like, huh, <laughs> I really miss EA back in the day. I really do, because just small details like that, you know, you played the Burnout games, you play this game, it's like, hey, it's the, it's the same sound. It's the same guy. Oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Thank you, DJ Atomica. Brandon, Brandon yeah. how about you? Of these three games, which one would you recommend the listeners pick up? So it's going to be context-dependent. Um, I'm going to narrow it down between 1080 Avalanche and SSX3. I think that if you never touched a snowboarding game in your life mm-hmm. ever, and you happen to have a GameCube lying around, which you should, yep. Um, I would go for 1080 Avalanche because I think it's a better bottle experience as well as, again, the, the main thing for me is for 1080 Avalanche, it's, it's focus on spectacle. Now, spectacle in video games for design is has a troubling thing where it doesn't really age well, um, mm-hmm. but just the levels are super grandiose, and uh, secrets were actually really very well integrated into the levels, almost uh, akin to Mario Kart in some mm-hmm. aspects, where one minute you're grinding for 30 seconds on a gangplank, like super high above the mountains, the next minute you break through a hole in the chain link fence, plummet 120 feet straight down, and continue on as you were. And there's also, there's also like, the amount of sections of the levels that don't have any snow at all that are, like, straight roads and parking lots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not too much, that, yeah. but it's also weird that it's more than any. So, 1080 Avalanche, I would say, is a great bottle experience. If you've played any other snowboarding games or you've been a fan of the Tony Hawk series, I would absolutely recommend SSX3. I think it's a more complete experience. The characters are fun, snarky, and witty, and they have so much customizability. Um... The soundtrack is fantastic, and something special about like just collecting giant letters and this floating in the sky that yeah you wouldn't get in like a, something SSS, like a, a Tennessee Avalanche, where it's designed to be a more gritty, realistic snowboarder. Mm-hmm. This one is fun and arcadey. It recognizes that's the benefit of the genre. How I judge a game if I've never played a game when I watch footage and and I look at it, I think to myself, will I have fun playing this? Like, can I imagine myself playing this right now? And I 100% can imagine myself playing on tour more than anything else. I think because of just the ridiculous stuff, ridiculousness of a lot of it, but also because of Mario and Luigi and Peach, I, could, I would love to just have Luigi and just like wreck some skiers and snowboarders. And also the fact that I can ski. That's really cool. So, yeah, I would have to say the same thing with Mike. I own SSX on tour, and I think that's the game to pick up as a GameCube collector. I feel like it's the most GameCube-esque of the three. Cool. It's got the... It's, yeah, it's got the three Nintendo characters in there. It's a ton of fun to play. Still looks good to this day. I think that you can have a lot of fun picking it up now. It's also fairly affordable. Yeah, how much 20. is it, Neil? I set it up front. It's about 20 to $25 okay. usually. So I think that's what I picked it up for a few years Perfect. ago, and I still have fun with it. So a very affordable snowboarding game. Uh, 1080 Avalanche is almost twice that, and I don't think it's worth that. <laughs> so definitely go with SSX on See, tour. the beauty of the back in the day is you could rent 1080 Avalanche, <laughs> and that made it much more <laughs> Um, don't worry, Blockbuster's coming yes. back. Those stocks are oh, going up. Going. Are any of these <laughs> games available on the virtual console? No, not well, at all. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Of even course. The, even yeah. the Nintendo made one? Yeah, you, you can't play either of the Nintendo uh, 1080 Avalanches or the Wave Races on the Switch, and EA don't usually do backwards compatibility on Nintendo hardware. So it's an EA Sports big licensed game, so I don't think you're going to be able to find that one anytime soon. 
So going forward with these two franchises, though, what would you guys rather see? Would you rather see remakes come out or like re-releases on the virtual consoles? Or do you think you do you think we'll see sequels of either of these games? Like, I don't think we're going to see personally a 1080 Avalanche sequel again. It's been almost 20 years and Nintendo doesn't typically And it doesn't sequels. deserve it. I'm going to be honest. And, no, it doesn't. And But EA also doesn't go back to old franchises either. So I think the best thing we can ask for for both of these franchises would be like a collection of maybe remakes or ports of the like a collection like a 1080 Avalanche collection and an SSX collection on Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. I think that is a very much realistic possibility because Tony, the new Tony Hawk re- remakes, not even remasters at this point, they were remakes completely. They did well enough to probably merit EA looking into their library of games and figuring out which of their games can maybe use the same exact treatment. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very much. I'm a little conflicted on this answer because, like, from a business side, they would be much better off not touching the SSX franchise at all and going more of like a something like a skate route where it's, it's hyper realistic and you would, you would go off of existing actual places and just do you doing tricks and a lot of ragdoll physics and that'll be a good recipe for mm-hmm. a game. Um, I mean, they are they are already making a new skate game, right? Like yes. that was announced. But uh, yeah, so. my point is like that is a safer title to approach because you don't have to deal with uh, getting the SSX properties, right? Because SSX, as a franchise, there's so many memorable characters and the levels themselves are actually pretty recognizable and iconic that, for me, a perfect solution would be a, like a grand ma- remaster where it's levels from throughout all the series, uh, characters from the whole thing, maybe they're aged up, maybe they have kids or something in there going in, and... It's just the core gameplay that you love from all of it, but going through those same levels, just refine them. Because the levels are very, they have a lot of potential to be used, even in a modern era. Because, as you said before, they were so long. So you just add some more collidable things and tweak tweak it up, see how the levels have changed over 20 years of time, right? Like, See, I would like that, but realistically, I don't think they're going to do that. No, No, I I think think what will happen, and I would actually be kind of like kind of surprised if it doesn't, is that we will get a Tony Hawk kind of styled SSX where we get maybe SSX Mm -hmm. and SSX Tricky together as a two-pack, kind of how Tony Hawk did it with one and two. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I... I constantly hear people talking about SSX to this day. Like that comes up all it's the very time. It's nostalgic. Um, so many people. When I started this, when we started this podcast, I had quite a few people asking me about SSX and like, when know, are you are covering we it? Talk about when that? are you yeah, covering it? <laughs> Which I thought was really surprising to me because that series, you know, was known to me, but I never really paid any attention to it. Um, and it's really cool to see how much love it still has. Uh, you know, almost equal to Tony Hawk in some uh, aspects, which I think a lot of uh, a lot of executives in like for EA will probably take notice of. And like you said, Ali, Tony Hawk did relatively well with the the remake. So I think I would be very st- stunned if this doesn't come out within the next three to four years. It's similar to like a Watchdog scenario where you have people with such firm memories of the first one, they might not approach a second one, even if the second or third is vastly vastly superior. So it, it depends on how it does, and I think any further snowboarding approaches will be based on that. But again, doing SSX as a series justice to fuel nostalgia for players who played it 20 years ago, it's not worth that time to get it right when they can just make a new 
a, a snowboarding game yeah from scratch yeah. business wise well hmm. uh, thank you so much guys for coming on the show today uh before we let you go is there anything either of you wants to say to listeners um i just i think that 1080 avalanche despite all of its flaws uh deserves its place in the nostalgia halls um i also would like to comment like it's very surprising to me how many of these games in that era that released across all consoles bring so much nostalgia like it's like you brought up before ssx being firmly remembered and wanting to push for a gamecube podcast when it was released on everything everything under the sun and it's just very uniting in how much fond memories it gives i guess yeah no very cool in that aspect Mm -hmm. so i actually wanted to talk about exactly the gamecube so on tour on gamecube has more I guess Nintendo Enos in it than Avalanche does, which is a Nintendo owned property. Oh, yeah. Like it's, yeah, this is not... even the Yeah, even even some of the levels, the decals on the you know, tracks, it's like Mario Stars, the stars. Uh, yeah. and on the billboards mm-hmm. it's like mushrooms, all that. So very Mario Kart esque. Yeah, even the aesthetic is more Nintendo for the GameCube than yeah. Avalanche. So if you really like that, I I think you're going to really love on tour. We will obviously see you both very soon. Allie, we will definitely see you for Racing Part 2. Oh, and I can We will see you yes. for, I, I don't There'll know what else. something Some, I can nerd some, on. Something. I already have your name on lots of stuff, so. <laughs> Take care, boys. What nice young men. Uh, amazing to have both of them on to talk about their memories with the games. And I mm-hmm. love that we got to have two different viewpoints on the games. We have mm-hmm. a 1080 viewpoint and we had the ssx viewpoint which is what i really like to have i don't like to just have a circle jerk around one game so um i really mm-hmm. uh really enjoyed both of them coming on today and i know that like my interpretation of 1080 kind of changed playing it in 2021 compared to playing it back in 2005 2006 at the time i suppose but uh i i would like to say that it is a very nostalgic game for me and i think that it is worth picking up even to this day even though i said ssx is better I do have very fond memories of playing 1080 Avalanche, picking it up, discovering it for the first time, which you just can't replace. No. So it's it's hard to go back to these games and then look at them at a critical uh, point, which I think that a lot of folks out there don't do. Like when they go back and play games that they play as kids, they just look at it through that nostalgic lens and can't look at it critically as if it's still a good game today, which you need to do when you're looking at retro games. Just because they're old doesn't necessarily make them good. Yeah, I've actually had that kind of discussion slash argument with people before where mm-hmm. I'll like ask them about, you know, what their favorite game is or, you know, their top whatever. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll include the fact that it's like, okay, but like, can you go back to it today? It's like, oh, well, that's not fair. That's not like judging yeah. a game well. I'm like, oh, I disagree. You know, that's, yeah. I think a huge part of media, whether it's m- movies, whether it's... um. Uh, games whether it's books anything is mm-hmm. is the fact can i go back to it does it matter today is it influential you know these are all the questions that you ask because that's really what makes a timeless classic is something right. that you can easily go back to and we found that with you know some of these games were much more critically um not panned, but like, uh, what's the opposite of panned? <laughs> praised? <laughs> yeah, like, much more, um, uh, a lot of these games were much more critically praised because of their graphics and because of their, their presentation, like Brendan was saying. But, you know, like he said, that ages poorly when you mm-hmm. put a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on the spectacle rather than the gameplay. The gameplay, so. right. Gameplay will always age well. I think that we're going to see that time and time again. Graphics yeah. are only good for 
a few years typically it's also kind of fun to talk about these games because we kind of got to see two different versions of nintendo here we got to see nintendo in 2003 when things were going pretty good you know um we had uh like things were going like decent but uh 2005 6 when we got uh ssx on tour that mm-hmm. was almost desperation time for Nintendo. Yeah, and you could tell at that point that they weren't going to make another snowboarding game because they were just giving their farming their IP out to anybody who wanted it. So yeah, yeah, yeah they were definitely just kind of doing whatever they could to sell copies of any game they wanted uh, before they put the Wii out. Yep. Yep. So anyway, Mike, before we close out the episode, shall I read the back of the case for these three games? Yes, do it. I completely forgot about back of the case. <laughs> <laughs> I can never forget. All right, let's start with SSX3. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. It's you against the mountain. Nice. Dominate slope style, big air, and super pipe freestyle events. Survive backcountry hazards, high speed races, intense rivalries. Over 1,000 customizations and rewards. New music by Fatboy Slim, Nerd, and more from the SSX soundtrack. Very good. Yeah. All right, now on to SSX on tour. Rule the mountain. Now it's, okay, so it's you against the mountain. Now it's rule the mountain. Not, yeah, you, you, you've conquered the mountain. Now you have to rule it. Now you have to make sure it's in who's boss. Yeah. Make a name for yourself and get ready to start your tour rock star. What? All right. <laughs> uh, choose your path, tear up and fly down 13 new tracks on board or skis. Reach breakneck speeds. Shred with Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach. Very nice. Very nice indeed. Now moving on to 1080 Avalanche. Perilous environments. See, this one, the mountain's going to screw you over no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) The game that started the extreme sports genre back in 1080 Avalanche. I don't think think that's true. (laughs) That's taking credit. A heart-pounding, earth-shaking return to the winter glory. Feel the ground rumble as you fly down the slope fast enough to peel the skin off your face. The other racers are intense, but your biggest opponent might just be the mountain. Yeah, see, that, that one focused way more on speed and, yes. uh, yeah. Yep, like, like we talked to, about. As opposed to tricks. Yeah. Yes. But, Mike, that was a fun episode to talk about snowboarding. We got to bring on Allie and Brannon. We, we, this is the first time we've had Brannon on the show. The listeners got to meet another new character from our lives, which was mm-hmm. nice. Yes, that was very nice, and we can't wait to have both of them back again. Yep, but Mike, until then, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on the GameCube is Cool podcast. Next week is our Valentine's Day episode, Neil. And so love is in the air when okay. we talk about The Sims games oh. for GameCube. Okay. And I've had a lot of people, obviously, talk to me about The Sims over the years. And a lot of people were surprised that The Sims are even on GameCube. And I myself am, subscri- <laughs> am surprised because it definitely is a PC kind of game Uh, Mm -hmm. but we will be talking to people who obviously have not played it on gamecube but have played it on other consoles and the pc specifically but uh yeah there's a couple of games in here uh there is the uh sims one two uh pets uh Mm -hmm. the herbs which is uh gonna go in our uh uh, our list of racist video games. <laughs> oh, good. Finally. We haven't added one to that list in a while. No, we haven't. So I'm excited <laughs> excited to do that. <laughs> okay. Cool. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, The Sims showed its face on a lot of weird consoles. I know the con- like home consoles for sure, but it was also on like Game Boy Advance. And I think DS might have had a Sims game or two. Yeah. Yep. Definitely a PC game. It's kind of like when you see Roller Coaster Tycoon on a console. It's like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 35 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. We're the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Follow us on Instagram at the GameCube Pod and check out our website, thegamecubewascool.com. Share us with your friends, family, and your local Zamboni driver. Tell Bill, Mike says hi. <laughs> Seriously, though, help us get to 10,000 downloads by the end of February. We need your help. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.